We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special edition of the Fantasy Football Report. I'm back with Ben Battle, Hassan Rahim, talking about dynasty-wide receiver rankings again. Uh, we're recording on Sunday night, so we've decided to skip Game of Thrones in order to bring you this uh, rankings discussion, so that's how committed we are to our listeners. Uh, ben, Hassan, any regrets? No regrets. Don't watch. Happy to be here, Blair. This is why this is why you lose a dynasty is by like uh, focusing on the things that like uh, are other entertainment uh, as opposed from just football twenty four seven. It's why it's why uh, your rankings just are not good. Mine, or like anybody's really, but like <laughs> but like yours in relative uh, compared to the two of us. Right, I'm thinking too much about how to rank the uh, contenders for the Iron Throne, but. Now that we know we don't have to listen to your guys' rankings, we can just get on with the show, right? Blah, 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 blah. All right. Anyway, we're we're talking the second tier of, well, I guess they're not second tier, but basically 13 through 24. I don't know. We kind of ended with like 13 or 14 last time, so we'll just get into the next guys. We picked up, or we can pick up where we left off last time, which was talking about the 
Rams wide receivers. Now, Ben, you have Brandon Cooks inside your top 12, and uh, neither Hassan nor I have any of the Rams guys in the top 12. But um, we kind of touched on why you have Cooks ranked higher. I'm wondering, uh, yeah, if you could go over that again. For sure, yeah. So I have Cooks all the way at 12, and the reason for that is just that I think his floor is way higher than people think. He's the best target on the Rams offense. He's actually younger than Cooper Cup, which is something that's rather surprising given that he has way more seasons in the league. And for me, he's a. I understand he has a low upside because – he likely won't hit an elite target share that some other players around him might have in their potential range of outcomes. But I think in the Rams offense, he'll continue to be good for a couple of years and his prior production from previous seasons, he's had almost 16 points per game, like three of the last four or fantasy points per game, three of the last four years and I just think that floor can be underrated in dynasty as a consistent wide receiver too. Hassan, any objections to having cooks uh, that high? I mean, you have him at 16, you know, what makes you like somebody like Kenny Galladay or Will Fuller instead of cooks? Um, Part of that is, I mean, I guess here's, and this is sort of what you were saying a little bit. It just sort of, it becomes a bit of a big tier. Galladay for me might actually be overranked, and I might have to like change him down just a little bit. But I don't know where to put him. So, like, so this is why I take a kind of a tiered approach to um, to drafting slash where I take where I would take wide receivers or how I look at them is um, see who's available, and then I figure out who I want. And uh, right now we kind of have Kenny Galladay sort of. I mean, he emerged uh, pretty much as like the plain like alpha in that offense. Uh, he was like the the lone guy there. Um, I think Cooks, you know, the Rams's offense is explosive enough to support three wide receivers. We've seen that, uh, and uh, the reason Cooks and that sort of is is where Cooks is a little bit lower because they can actually straight out win games without Cooks having to do all that much. You're looking at a flatter target share. They're not a team that actually throws the running back all that much. They're more likely to throw to Woods and Cooks and Cup ahead of uh, Gurley. And therein lies the rub with what you're looking at. It was very difficult to figure out how high or how low to take Robert Woods. Um, I see I've threaded the needle with, with Woods. I've got him at 18. Ben has him at 17. You're lower than Woods, uh, than, the, than the two of us. And you're a little bit higher on Cup. So do you mind explaining the discrepancy on that rank right there? Right there? Um... The main reason I have Cup so high is that uh, when he was healthy last year, he was their main red zone target, and he was even um, for basically the whole season until he got hurt, he was like a top five wide receiver in the league. So um, he's got, uh, it would appear to be more upside than either of the other two guys just because of the way they use him. Um, so that's uh, the main reason for ranking cup so high although on in my rankings that are up on the site i actually have cooks a little bit higher so things have changed a little bit just since we did this but i mean i'm always revising these so who knows they could switch back tomorrow i don't know um you know and then on woods it's just uh kind of 
a belief in Cooks and Cups talent over Woods. Um, you know, I like Woods. I like what he's been able to do late in his career. It's just, uh, I guess, guys with his sort of profile, you know, late breakouts don't tend to be as dominant for as long as guys who are able to come into the league and do it right away like Cooks and Cup both have. Yeah, so in terms of Cooks versus Cup, you're correct that Cup did outproduce Cooks while he was on the field last year. They did have a very similar target share. Like the target share for all three of these guys is practically the same. It's really hard to differentiate no matter how you split it, where that'll go. It looks like you kind of have to project them evenly going forward. And the differentiator for me is that I prefer Cooks's uh, tenure of production over Cup's slightly stronger um, sample in this uh, th- this last season. So just to clarify, I acknowledge Cup was better, slightly better last season, but Cooks has done it for a bunch of years, and in Dynasty, I value that pretty highly. Yeah, I, I should actually probably be shifting Woods down a little bit and boosting Cup a little bit. It just it becomes a bit of a jumble though here on, on this tier because it's it's a matter of uh, a part of this is like uh, how you want to view production going forward. Cup tore his ACL in week ten. He's you know the Rams are optimistic he's going to be ready by like training camp slash week one. I don't think he. Uh, I think he might be ready, but I think he might have a slow start. And if he re-aggravates his uh, injury slash is dealing with hamstring issues, which we've seen Dalvin Cook struggle through last year, which were probably more ACL related than an actual hamstring related, uh, it'll probably put Cup back, uh, set set Cup back a little bit. But I do agree that I think I have Cup a little bit too low and Woods a little bit too high. I might have to reevaluate that. All right. Uh, one guy who's kind of sandwiched in between these Rams that we just mentioned briefly is Will Fuller. He's someone I think we're all a lot higher on than consensus, certainly than his ADP. I have him at 13. Ben, you have him at 18. Hassan, you have him at 15. So, uh, I mean, Ben, you're the lowest on him, but you're still way above where uh, ADP has him. So what, I guess you can kind of introduce why, uh, why, why would you like Fuller so much? Sure. So the reason to like Will Fuller a lot is that he scores a million fantasy points every time him and Deshaun <laughs> Watson are on the field. And it's happened for 11 games in the last two seasons, and he's averaged over 17 PPR points. <laughs> and he's averaged one touchdown per game uh, over that 11-game sample. And you kind of thought that that might just be a flash in the pan when it started happening, right when... Watson came in, but if you really dive a little deeper, you can recognize that, wow, Will Fuller was phenomenal in college. Uh, His dominator rating is very good. All his age-adjusted metrics are phenomenal, and that uh, is a big indicator that his outrageous production in the NFL might be replicable and repeatable. And I mean, we started to see that at the beginning of this past season until unsurprisingly, not unsurprisingly, maybe unsurprisingly, (laughs) I don't know, until predictably, I don't know if that's the word either. He got injured again, (laughs) but yeah. So the, the the point is he's smashed literally every time him and Sean Watson are 
on the field. And I'm not totally sure that the public realizes just how good he's been and that his prior, um, that his background suggests that it's not just a, a flash in the pan. Yeah, totally agree on that. I mean, the other thing that's nice about Fuller is this last season he was he was scoring a lot of fantasy points, not only on efficiency, but he actually was getting quite a bit of targets when he was healthy too. So that's uh, kind of a really encouraging thing to see that he's kind of uh, commanding volume from Watson when he's in the game, not just catching a lot of long touchdowns, which probably are not sustainable. Um, now, um, you know, we brought Part this up. Issue. Go Sorry? ahead. I was just going to ask, (laughs) I was going (laughs) to ask if either of you have thought um, that Fuller might eat into Hopkins targets at all, if he's fully healthy and uh, kind of bring him back down into, I don't know, the Thomas Beckham range. Uh, We we talked a little bit about this, and I think you and I have talked a little bit about this off air. And I think some of it comes down to how we view the Texans' offense and their defense uh, uh, going forward. I think Will Fuller isn't exactly a drag on Hopkins. He might be a little bit of a drag in that he might not get the kind of outsized red zone work we want to see. I think a lot of it comes down to to Fuller versus QT. Uh, they haven't spent much time in the field together. A couple of games that they did, QT saw, you know, he was really, like, he was utilized more so in, in like, that short receiving role. And I think some of it comes down to how they're willing to deploy Fuller. If, if they're just going to use him more like a deepish threat, like, not use him creati- creatively, I don't see how Fuller sustains this rank. Part of the reason why I'm this aggressive on Fuller in, in Dynasty is because I want to get him on my squad. If you go to uh, our dynasty rankings, you'll notice that only Blair and Sean Siegel are particularly aggressive on Will Fuller. Uh, and um, the next, you know, I mean, uh, the, the other rankers on the site, uh, outside of Dave Cabin as well, like TJ Calkins, Curtis Patrick, and John Lipinski are kind of bearish on, on Fuller. Um, and so I think some of this comes down to the fact that you mentioned Blair, uh, where... Fuller has never broken, had a breakout season, quote unquote. Uh, part of it, I think, has to do with poor QB play. Part of it has to do with injuries. And then the poor guy suffered that ACL tear. And I think some of this is uh, contingent on my Kiki QT rank. He's not particularly high in my ranks. Although I have him on on almost like 90% of my, my dynasty squads. Uh, thanks for the third, fourth round uh, free pick there, guys. That was good times. Uh, but... And so I think that my rank on QT is a little bit lower uh, th- than it should be. And I think uh, if, you know, QT sees an increase in, in, in workload and genuinely there's no reason why he shouldn't because he's really, really good. Uh, I think I might have to adjust Fuller down a little bit and not be this enthusiastic. But I, I am personally this optimistic because this is sort of where I'm always kind of, I kind, I kind of try and be earlier than my league mates on Fuller because I like slotting him in as my flex after I get my like wide receiver core because he's got the ability to put my squad over the top on a weekly basis. So Blair, you asked about whether Fuller should impact Hopkins and my answer is no. Uh, I think that all three of these Texans receivers can coexist without really harming each other, to be honest, um, because Fuller with his massive A dot 
lives pretty separately from Kuti. And after those three, who do they really want to get the ball to anyways? They don't really have other options that there are starving to get targets. So I don't really, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I just don't think that they impact each other as much. And also if you look at the split for Hopkins and Fuller, the last two seasons, Hopkins's targets have gone down by 0.3 per game. So I don't really take any signal from that. He's also happened to average more fantasy points per game because he has a much higher touchdown rate when Will Fuller's, on the field for some reason, which is likely correlated with uh, the team being the offense being better overall. One thing that I do kind of want to talk about with Fuller is I don't want to say injury prone, but I think because I don't think that he's like injury prone. I don't I don't really buy that. I think he's just had a really unfortunate sequence of events for the most part. Like tearing your ACL is very random and no signal for that, but. I think it is like you can take into consideration like how much damage his body has taken. Like not necessarily that he's injury prone going forward, but that maybe the impact of his future injuries are gonna limit the overall length of his career. And from a dynasty perspective, that might be something to take into account because also just have to bring it up since that's the number one thing everybody likes to reference when talking about Will Fuller. What, how, what do you guys think about that? <clears throat> yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, he hasn't been able to stay healthy in the NFL. And, I mean, it looks like apart from his freshman year in college, he didn't miss any games. So it's not like this has been something that you know has plagued him every season. Um, so I think I. Yeah, kind of like you. I wouldn't put that much stock into it. I think there's nothing, you know, necessarily that needs to make us project him to miss games every season. I mean, you know, ACL tear is kind of a little bit fluky. So hopefully he uh, can, you know, actually play a full season in 2019 and kind of justify these really aggressive rankings that we have on him. Yeah, what's worrisome about Fuller is... um if he loses his speed, uh, I mean that you know, like we need a guy uh, who is able to retain his wheels in order to like really retain his value or change the way he's utilized one one or the other. If if you know coming back from from the tear, I'm not saying that he won't be that guy, but um, you know the road to 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 ruin and fantasy is littered with the corpses of guys who used to be fast and suddenly aren't anymore. Yeah. So like, I, like just to reiterate, I think the better angle on the Will Fuller injury situation is the impact of the injuries he's had and how they might influence the future, the impact of future injuries he might happen to occur equally randomly um, as opposed to like, Oh, he's definitely going to get hurt again. But I see. Yeah. Anyways, right. just, yeah, like, no, that makes sense. Just wanted to, since everybody likes to talk about Will Fuller injuries, just thought we had to say it. Not so that he's should... more injury prone, but that any future injuries would be more devastating or Damaging. something. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right, got it. I think it's interesting that you brought up the splits with Hopkins, or actually they're Hopkins splits with Will Fuller, and I just looked him up, and he actually still averaged 
basically almost 11 targets a game when Will Fuller played over the last two seasons. So, I mean, it's really true that when Will Fuller's in the game, it's just like a totally different offense, and uh, they're a lot more willing to air it out and play more aggressively. So, um, you know, he obviously has a huge impact on that offense and really shouldn't hurt Hopkins at all. Yeah, you could argue it's a positive impact since they score more points. Hopkins, is yeah. t- Hopkins averages over one TD a game when Fuller's in the game compared to about half a TD when Fuller's out. And I don't really know. That's over the last two seasons. I'm not sure. I didn't dig in to see how that split's affected with Deshaun Watson out. There's probably yeah, right. something related to that too. But the point is that there's no major signal that Fuller being in hurts Hopkins. right. Who should we talk about next, Blair? Uh, well, the next guy on our list that we all uh, ranked pretty high. I mean, we we didn't really touch on Galladay. He's kind of someone who I think, Hassan, you mentioned, he kind of has that wide receiver one role in Detroit, just kind of a de facto wide receiver one. But he's someone who, uh, you know, I think we kind of all had mixed um, feelings about as a prospect because he's coming in, I believe he was already 23, maybe even older when he was coming in as a prospect. Um, but he was a mega producer at the college level. So there were things to like and things to not like. And then also, of course, you know, Detroit was just terrible last season and probably will be again this season. So there are some, you know, worrisome elements about his game, but also he should probably see a good amount of volume all the uh, targets yeah how confident all the targets how confident are we in this um average 15th ranked wide receiver in dynasty all the targets <laughs> i mean yeah, how many like targets it, is that in detroit though like eight 200 it's a great point the, <laughs> they're gonna so, throw 200 times 200 times too, yeah, they're gonna too. throw 200 <laughs> times all the holiday. It worked because he was the only one remaining. It was like Galladay and Blunt towards the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Two well, we can catchers. pencil carry on in for like 30 Four. targets, right? So Four. Four uh, targets, okay. Yeah, so I like I like Galladay. I'm not super, super excited, but I do like him. I have him ranked 15th. I think his upside's definitely there. I think they're... Um, like you mentioned, there are different ways to look at his college production. Old man producing well, those kind of conflicting narratives. But when digging deeper, what stuck out for me, you know, going back and looking at it was, okay, like he broke out last season. He passed that 200 PPR point threshold that we talk a lot about. And that also happened to be in a, a very bad team, like you mentioned. Um, so that adds some weight to it too. And I think that that kind of forces me to look at his college production in the positive lens saying, okay, he had that strong production despite he was old, but he had the strong production. Okay. Look now he's had a breakout year in his second season. And those are the type of signals we look for. So I'm not really deterred anymore by his old age. I just, I, you know, I will value his old age when he gets older more quickly, <laughs> but in terms of like his actual skill or talent outlook, I'm not really using, putting that into the equation anymore. So yeah, he's the number one target in a garbage offense. Really. He had a 
29% target market share in the second half of last year without Golden Tate and Marvin Jones. So we definitely see the upside in his range of outcomes. And you can see him having a high 20s target share even with Marvin Jones um, still in the equation. So, yeah, that's that's why he gets that, that high ranking. He's the alpha who just broke out in his second year last year. Yeah, I was kind of wrong on Galladay after he uh, missed uh, his, you know, most of his rookie season with hamstring issues. I just was convinced this is an old guy playing in a small conference who put up gaudy numbers and isn't uh, an NFL athlete uh, or like NFL caliber alpha. And I was uh, wrong. Um, But there's a lot that went in Galladay's favor last year. Uh, Namely, Golden Tate was traded. Marvin Jones got hurt. (laughs) Carry on Johnson got hurt. And like I said, he was the only wide receiver they had. I think they had TJ Jones uh, out there who, um, if you guys play in any dynasty <laughs> leagues with me that are really, really deep, I probably have him rostered. <laughs> and, uh, and and Brandon Powell was a thing. Uh, I remember when people threw like 100% of their fob on, on Brandon Powell, uh, like it was yesterday. But that was uh, because it happened towards the end of the season. So it feels like yesterday. Um, so... You know, so I think this might be a little bit more reactionary on Galladay uh, than where I hoped it to be. And it's still not as reactionary as a lot of, like, the fantasy community who have him, like, ranked in the top eight ahead of actually good wideouts. So, um, so you know, I think maybe Galladay is actually worth looking at, re-looking at, and probably moving down, especially if Detroit brings in, you know, improved or like more competition, I don't think they will. And that's where like this ranking for Galladay sort of got said, I just don't know how much lower to move him down or move him up because this, like this entire tier gets very, very confusing uh, from a dynasty perspective. And that's where, you know, I was wondering, Blair, what are your thoughts on, on Galladay's outlook or is anybody else you want to talk about? No, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about Galladay, at least long-term. I think maybe getting carry-on back for a full season will help um, that offense a little. I mean, I'm not really that thrilled about what you know what kind of team they're going to be putting out on the field next year, but um, Galladay should get the targets. Like you said, Ben, he already broke out at the NFL level, so at a certain point you just have to kind of take what you know about how he's performed in the NFL and kind of forget what he was like as a prospect if uh, if maybe parts of it don't match up. Um, you know, one thing I'm looking at is interesting. There's a guy lower down on all of our lists who actually scored more points than Galladay last year who's about the same age, maybe younger. That's Calvin Ridley. So um, I think in the in the rankings I have up on the site, I actually have Ridley ahead of Galladay. So what, I guess, are you guys thinking makes Galladay more valuable than Ridley? Well, he has clear path to targets this year, for sure. I mean, Julio's still there. We talked on the prior episode how Julio is likely trending downwards in the next couple of years, but he's Julio is still locked into what he's doing for at least this year, probably next year for sure. And that does block Ridley until then. I don't see the, any chance of Ridley overtaking Julio while Julio's still healthy and thriving, in my opinion. I don't know if we kind of talked about the whole Roddy White, Julio type 
deal, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I, I don't think there's any chance Ridley overtakes Julio while Julio's still alive, basically. And whereas Galladay, like we just mentioned, is the clear number one in Detroit. So that's the big differentiator for me, even if Ridley's style of breakout and stuff suggest his career arc is better. I think we have to wait just a tad since he's behind such an elite player. Uh, I think I think Ridley probably yeah, I gotta bump him up a little bit. I'm way too low on him. Um and that that's genuinely my mistake. I think I think what really threw me off uh when Ridley was coming out was the fact that like he didn't check all the boxes that we kind of want to see. And then, you know, he was an early declare, which is like the only thing going from productive as well from a young age. And, you know, you could easily say he hit the high end of the, the range of his outcomes last year. It also kind of helps that they stopped throwing to the running backs last year. You know what I mean? Like there was that volume. They don't have a tight, tight end of consequence. Sanu also saw a little bit of a reduction in volume as well. And 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 therein lies the rub, right? Like um, Freeman missed the entire season and they didn't necessarily use Coleman or Ido Smith as anything more than like, you know, backs that carry and they didn't really use they didn't really throw much of the backs and um i still want ridley and i think i think there's like a justification for me to move him up i probably have to reduce like a whole, like all these ranks uh just you know looking at them <laughs> like, there's just so much that's changed a little bit but like um i just don't don't know where i can like get on board with ranking ridley ahead of some of the other guys uh, so, do, Blair, do you mind taking us through your thought process on on why you got decided to be so aggressive on Ridley? <laughs> well, here's a stat I'll give you. Uh, since 2000, there have been three rookies who've scored more fantasy points over expectation than Ridley. Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas. That's it. That's the entire list. So, I mean, he's, uh, you know, shown pretty much that he's elite in terms of turning his opportunity into fantasy production. So, um, yeah, I don't think it would be outrageous for him to actually take opportunity from Julio this year. So I guess uh, that's one of the reasons I'm probably a little lower on Julio than you guys. Um, I think Ridley has earned more opportunity and will probably get it. So even if he's not as efficient as he was last year, I think he can he'd probably make up for that with increased opportunity. And uh, I think he should be able to improve on what he did last year. All right, how about this? Via Court Smith's uh, Comparables article for all, all the rookies. This wrote of his screener lists Lee Evans and Cooper Cup as Ridley's two closest comps, with T.Y. Hilton as the ceiling. And that's based off of his breakout age and his size and things like that. So I think you can spin those kind of trendy stats all, either way. Uh, in my opinion, I think that I would have liked to have seen Ridley's target share grow a little more in the second half of the season, to be honest, uh, especially since he was so good once he broke out, just kind of wanted to see them feed him a little more. It doesn't much of that actually matters in the end since he did break out and score so many points as a whole, but that just uh, it, it makes me doubt whether he'll steal from Julio so yeah fair um I think a little further down that maybe not on on uh courts list but with some metrics that you look at on Calvin Ridley his rookie year compares pretty well to Julio's so 
There's that too. <laughs> In fact, actually, listen to this. Ridley had 92 targets, 64 receptions, 800 yards, 821. Julio had 95 targets, 54 receptions. More yards, though. But Ridley had more touchdowns. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know, I, man. Like, I, I like Ridley. I have him ranked 20th. I think he's a solid buy. I just don't. I can't rank him as aggressively as you did. And I'd rather have Galladay, who has the guaranteed volume, ahead yeah, of him. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I guess the that. only the only reason um, Ridley has uh, more had more touchdowns than Julio in his rookie year was because like Ridley got to play alongside an elite like wide receiver, whereas Julio was playing alongside the corpse of of like Roddy White. Like comparatively, Roddy White. Julio is... also only played twelve games, but really played sixteen. I left that out. Uh, yeah, yeah, because because that's where like uh, yeah, because because uh, Julio was suffering with that foot thing, and everyone was like, "Oh, he's fragile. He's like not that good." Like he smashed the combine on a broken foot, and people are like, "This guy's fragile." What a joke. No, okay. no. I mean, Next. the comparison really is not that good between Ridley and Julio, but still, what Ridley did in his rookie year is pretty insane, and I think uh, it's worth worth taking note of. All right, one guy we skipped over, Chris Godwin, who we all have somewhere between nineteen and twenty-one. Um, he's uh, obviously still probably second fiddle to Mike Evans, but he is getting. A nice, hopefully, Bruce Arians bump this year. So, uh, yeah, Hassan, you're the lowest on Godwin. So, um, I guess, yeah, what do you think of his outlook going forward? Why maybe are Ben and I a little bit too high? Why do you have him under Adam Thielen? I mean, come on, man. Um, <laughs> it's also because, like, unlike the two of you, I'm a little bit higher on Evans. Uh, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a. You know, where I acknowledge that Evans is the guy who's going to see pretty much all the volume. The issue that I have with Godwin is that, uh, and this was done prior to, I believe, Adam Humphreys leaving uh, my my reports. I mean, Adam Humphreys isn't anything more than a speed bump or a fantasy parasite as far as these, like, the, the top ranks go or when you're looking for sexy players. Uh, and, like, the fact that he's gone kind of means they're going to be more targets. But but, you know, part of it's also contingent upon O.J. Howard. Uh, he's also, you know, Howard's missed a, a lot of times. Uh, I mean, a lot of games. And I don't know how, like, are people, you know, and Howard's going fairly aggressively even in, in, in redraft. And I think a lot of it, it just doesn't take into account the fact that tight ends get injured at a pretty incredibly high rate. And um, he's uh, missed the last two seasons. Uh, he spent uh, ended them on IR. So um, if uh, Howard were to play a full 16, Godwin most likely probably disappoints again, if only because there sh- might not be enough volume to go around. Now, um, Bruce Arians is saying all the right things. Uh, and Tampa Bay, outside of picking up Jameis's fifth-year option, haven't bothered talking extension here. So, um, will, Bam, Tam, will Tampa Bay be in the quarterback market this time next year? Mm, I hope so. I would hope so. I think it would be pretty funny, but um, <laughs> but uh, but like but like Tampa Bay, like part of the reason they're like the pass volume is really there is because their defense is absolute garbage, and um, you know, all like the pass volume that we've seen 
all it takes for them is to firm up their defense a little bit. And I don't know whether or not, um, you know, they really want to uh, or how they how they run this offense under Arians. Uh, one thing, oh, part of the other reason is I'm kind of hoping personally that they get Ronald Jones a little bit more involved, especially as a receiver. He had a couple of pretty cool plays in the preseason. Um, you know, he ran a few uh, wheel routes. <laughs> he had one, I think. He had one and he caught it. That's true. <laughs> Ronald um, Ronald Jones is your <laughs> for being low on Godwin. I'm like down by like two spots. All right, like um, it's, it's not like that big of a deal. Like I mean, like you're like like the two of you have like pretty egregiously bad Corey Davis ranks, for example. <laughs> well, uh, fact check time though. Do you remember when we put these rankings together, Ben? March Madness. Yeah. So when did that start? Opening weekend. Uh, middle of March. Middle of March. Give me a date. That's after the 14th. March 19th. All right. Well, Adam Humphreys was signed by the Titans on the 14th, so you have no excuse. Yeah, I, God knows. <laughs> like, I, I don't even register Adam Humphreys as like an actual player in the NFL, but I do acknowledge that that he does impact uh, something. And what about uh, D- uh, Deshaun Jackson? When was he traded? Yeah, that's a good point. Fair. Yes. I mean, that's, a, right. that's a question. I don't. I don't know when he was traded. It was later, I think. Pretty sure. Yeah, because like because like um because the Buccaneers didn't didn't th- yeah. There we go. March eleventh. Oh crap! <laughs> Sorry, man. I was trying to help you that time. <laughs> it's just. It's just. I just don't know. Like I can't remember when I finished these or or when I did them, but like um. There were like char target threats, and there aren't anymore. Yeah, like yeah. for Godwin, I think that in a really pass happy offense, he can be second option to Mike Evans and still be super productive. I think that Bucks could throw the ball a million times again, and that even if his target share like is around like twenty, that he can still break out and uh, kind of reach some higher level of production. We saw him with peculiarly low efficiency this last year, which I guess is a red flag. I'm kind of, I'm kind of debating Godwin versus Ridley right now in my head. I have Godwin ahead in my rankings, but I'm, I'd consider actually putting Ridley ahead of him to be honest, since Ridley does have that second year breakout. And despite Godwin having lots of the superior college things he failed to break out for whatever reason so i'm pretty new i'd say i'm pretty neutral on godwin overall like i I like him i think he has the chance to break out like i said can see him being a two in a pass happy offense and still producing but nothing nothing crazy in my opinion blair do you have any last thoughts on godwin no i have pretty high hopes for godwin this year uh i think we're all a little bit more optimistic on him than the kind of industry consensus i mean which is still pretty high on him so uh we are all i think expecting some sort of breakout i mean he's in the top 20 well top 21 for all of our rankings so yeah um i i have a lot of hope that that offense will you know be a little well i mean they passed a lot last year but i hope that continues and uh even with Ronald Jones getting a lot more involved, I think Godwin can smash. So, all good. <laughs> what is worth, well, 
Well, if Ronald Jones gets involved, that would be great for my ROI in best ball this year. <laughs> be great for yeah. it. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, and I mean, it definitely is relevant that Humphreys and Jackson left for sure. Like when with Godwin trying, trying, interesting word to use, trying to break out last year, you like getting blocked by Humphreys and Jackson here and there. Like that definitely does contribute to, I don't know, like the positive news blurbs are positive on him too, for whatever the heck that's worth this time of year, but uh, optimistic about him as a second to Mike Evans. Why don't we move along to the next player on the ranks? Uh, I guess. So Adam Thielen comes in as approximately the 20th ranked player in our rankings. And it seems like we all have a pretty similar valuation for him, given his situation and age and stuff. So, I'd assume we're all kind of on the same play page. So Blair, maybe you can explain why Adam Thielen, who projects much stronger from a redraft perspective, is all the way down at 20th in our rankings, despite signing a four-year deal. Right, right. I think for probably for all of us, this kind of correlates with how high we have Stefan Diggs ranked and kind of all of us expecting Diggs to really take a step forward, which probably means a little bit of a step back for Thielen. Um, you know, Thielen is another guy like Robert Woods with the late breakout. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely a fan of Thielen, but it's kind of a risky profile to be chasing, especially when he's playing alongside uh, someone who we think should be an elite wide receiver probably already, but definitely, you know, within the next season or so so um that's probably why we're lower on him from a dynasty perspective than he than i think we would be in redraft um well he's, tw- he's 29 years old too so he's, his contract he's also brand new it, it came out after we were done with these ranks <laughs> <laughs> yeah Can't but it doesn't that. make me it doesn't make me move him up though <laughs> to be honest yeah so, so yeah, I agree age is... go ahead go ahead no, I was, you know, I was just going to reiterate, yeah, age is another thing to obviously consider. I mean, you know, maybe there's something to be said for the fact that he's only really been uh, wide receiver one or something for two seasons, so he doesn't quite have the wear and tear of a guy who's a guy like Julio, who's also about the same age. But, I mean, still, he's at an age when, um, when uh, a severe drop-off gets a lot more likely, so... Uh, yeah. One thing I want to say is that I'm not really projecting a Diggs breakout, overtake Thielen, have a massive target market share. I know you guys are think feel a little differently about that, and you think that Diggs has a higher chance to like totally dominate that target market share. But I don't really think that you even need that to happen right away to have the rankings the way we do. Like. Stephen Diggs is 25. Adam Thielen is 29. They're on the same offense and project similarly as like top 15 wide receivers at least. And Diggs is, you know, being that young and projecting that way makes him rank so highly. Thielen projects similarly, but is almost 30. So that's why he's lower, Uh, independent of what you think about their like talent and Diggs' breakout potential. So just wanted to add that. 
Uh, Hassan, you're the highest on Thielen of any of us. Any any reason you have him ahead of Godwin and ahead of oh the only other person? Well, yeah, ahead of Godwin. <laughs> yeah, a part of it is just a matter of uh, he gets to play in Stefan Diggs' shadow and he gets to benefit from that. Um, which is kind of what he does in the games that he's actually played alongside Diggs. He averages about 14 points a game. In the games that he's played without Diggs, he's averaged about nine points a game. Uh, and I think a lot of that just has to do with um, the fact that Diggs allows him to match up against the linebackers and the safeties where he's able to make those like over the middle catches. It's sort of why um, Kyle Rudolph kind of takes a bit of a backseat, you know, with how the offense functions. I'm actually most interested in seeing the impact that Dalvin Cook has on this offense because he averages like five targets a game after coming back over the last six games in the season. Therein lies the rub because um, Diggs has the ability to play outside. And inside, he's like, a, you know, you're, you're, you're a prototypical Z guy. Thielen uh, is a bit of a mas- masquerade a little bit as like a Z when realistically he's more of like a strict Y. And if he's not, if he's asked to do more than what his like role is, which is just get easy catches in the slot, he's not going to be uh, as dynamic. The offense isn't as dynamic. And I think that if Cook's able to put together a healthy full 16 games, you know, he's going to command, uh, you know, a reasonable-ish um, size of the receiving production and realistically the other thing about Thielen is that he's you know more so than just yards because he just doesn't really accrue yards as much as people think he does he's more of a red zone a touchdown fueled kind of guy and as we all know uh, touchdowns aren't exactly sticky year on year and all you need for that to change is uh, a half competent you know running game or a half competent receiving back on the around the goal line and the willingness to throw more to your tight end Kyle Rudolph and therein is a path to uh, Thielen getting squeezed. I mean, we might be, I have him ranked uh, a little bit optimistically because I think you still want a slice of this Vikings' offense. Uh, and if you can't get Diggs Thielen, or Cook, Thielen is a pretty good um, backup to get, provided this team doesn't go out and actually spend capital on a, on a decent-ish wide receiver who uh, could replace the lack of wide receivers on this team. I mean, I mean, Laquan Treadwell is not a real player. <laughs> like, like, like this entire team functions through like uh, two wide receivers, one tight end, and a running back. Right now, they need to add depth, and therein would be something very interesting to see. We could be, you know, like Thielen could well be squeezed, and I don't really know what this like extension really looks like i gotta actually take a look and see is this really a four-year 64 million extension or is this one of the ones where he's getting rewarded the most of the money's coming up front this is like a two-year and out contract that would be a little bit more interesting and i hate the way contract reporting is done because uh, as far as we're concerned when you read this four-year 64 million dollars extension you're thinking wow he gets all that money no i want to see how much of it is guaranteed how much how much of it is in extensions is there a team option stuff like that because it's going to be very telling with how they view Thielen because clearly the team got him on an absolute song and he wasn't too thrilled about the fact that he was uh, wildly underpaid next to Diggs. Yeah, I mean, dude's 29 years old. Next. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Corey Davis, Hassan? Look at that Corey Davis ranking, 17th? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, talk to yeah. us. Yeah, so you Talk guys to us are, about how the Titans' offense is going to explode, and Mariota is the next goat. 
there's no reason for that. Like, your guys are just, like, overly penalizing him for having, like, a quote-unquote bad season relative to your expectations. I mean, he still had, like, what, 188, 189 PPR points, which isn't bad considering that Mariota played through, what, like, a sprained AC joint. He had a nerve issue missed a bunch of games. Um, and, you know, in the games where they actually were able to play with pace and volume, Corey Davis was fine. He's not spectacular. The team itself actually knows he's not an, not an alpha uh, which explains why they're trying to trade a first for Amari Cooper, you know, a real alpha. But I think Corey Davis is still within their long-term plans. By the way, if you're one of those people who thinks Corey Davis is still a top 10 wide receiver, you really need to not play this game anymore. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of actually going on in Corey Davis's prospect profile that indicates that he was simply not as good as he was hyped up to be even at the time. Uh, but going back to it now, I think the community is overreacting and the incentive and, and it's sort of going the other way where we're overly punishing him. He's still kind of, you know, mired on a slow paced, poorish offense. And the same reasons for why Galladay is as highly ranked as he is, pretty much the same should apply to Corey Davis, except one guy was able to do it visibly. I think Galladay and Corey Davis had about the same PPR finish. If you don't mind checking that for me, Blair. 23-point difference. 20, yes. Corey, da- Corey Davis had 183 PPR points. Galladay had 206, I think. Awesome. 208. And Corey Davis did it with a like a not his starting quarterback for three games and one who had actually played through a bunch of like injuries, crack ribs, sprained AC joint, and that nerve issue that he picked up in week one. But the Lions so, stunk too. They couldn't have been any worse. Yeah, but he had a starting wide receiver and then no other competition. Corey Davis still had Daywon Taylor and Tajay uh, <laughs> Sharp and John Smith and all these other like ancillary guys. The Lions literally had no one. They traded That's, away Golden yeah, Tate. Yeah. Marvin Jones had a season-ending injury, and then they, and then Carryon Johnson had an ending a season-ending injury. That's literally no one for eight games. This coming from the last T.J. Jones truther left in the world. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think you misspoke when you said Corey Davis had a bad season. He's actually had a bad career, which is why I'm oh, kind of no, down on him. He's had a garbage, no. he had a garbage career. Like, he's like, never had a season with positive efficiency, fantasy yeah. points over expectation. Uh, and yeah, he was... Uh, I was actually high on him as a prospect, but you know, if I knew then what I knew now, I probably wouldn't have been as high. So, um, hey, so, so so were the Titans. They wanted to trade for Amari. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I this think this team uh, is going to draft another wide receiver, by the way. Well, that's even more reason to move Davis down no, your I rankings, mean. I guess. Yeah, so um, I mean, you, re- you referenced the being like now, little, uh, you referenced that now you'd be lower on Davis's college production compared to how you felt uh, a year or two ago. And the reason for that, I'm assuming what you're referring to, is that he wasn't an early declare that he played all four years and that that's definitely something we should be considering, Blair. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that um, it's more useful than I had taken into account to look at not exactly the strength of schedule, but... uh, the basically who else was on his team that could have impacted his market share. So he was able to get a really high market share of also production. No one. Yeah. No one. Right. Uh, against in, no uh, one. Western Michigan. 
Yeah, so a lot of people talk about that as strength of schedule, like he's going up against bad cornerbacks. I don't actually think that's all that important, but it is important that he didn't have any really quality receiver teammates to uh, compete for production with. That's something that, um, like, I mean, you see the top guys on our list now, Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, they didn't have great production in college, but they did play on teams that were pretty loaded. So you can kind of excuse the lack of production. And uh, Corey Davis is <laughs> the opposite, basically. Right. So so for me, Corey Davis kind of starts the long shot tier in Dynasty, mm-hmm. in these Dynasty wide receiver rankings where I'm looking for a guy who somehow can create a situation where he can be a high-end wide receiver too. Some guy that potentially has an opportunity to be the alpha or not not necessarily an alpha, not like a 30% target market share alpha, but you know, a mid-20s lead wide receiver on his team that could generate a couple wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver two type seasons. So that's why Corey Davis comes in at still in the 20s despite the fact that Blair and I just ripped him for a bunch of statistics <laughs> in a row. Uh, the one thing that I understand still being optimistic about Davis, given the circumstances with the team this last season and everything. But for me, like he, so for the first 10 games of last year, he had a 31% target market share. That was, you know, that's go time. That's, it's year two, Corey Davis. It's your time. We want you to break out. Guess what happened? The second half of the season, he had a nineteen percent target market share. Yeah, that's and, because Mariota got hurt and had to stop throwing the football. Like it's just, but but still, that wouldn't change their game plan for not throwing the ball to to Davis. Like I understand, but I think that some of the you know thresholds we look at for break for breakout years and breakout age and stuff are. Um, independent of lots of situational stuff like that. Like I, I understand that his situation stunk and that it got worse, but the fact that his market share dropped that much, like if he was truly going to be in their game plan as like an alpha for going forward, they still would have fed him the ball because that would have been their game plan every time they throw the ball. Like uh, that's that's my perspective on it. I understand and acknowledge your side too. So that's why he's mid mid twenties for me. Yeah, he also did basically nothing with the targets that he was getting early in the season. Um, exactly. Kind of, That's why they dropped him. Yeah, right. I mean, you can kind of explain the lack of targets in the second half of the season either by, I don't know, something wrong with the offense, something wrong with Mariota, but it's just as easy to explain kind of Corey Davis just really being bad with the targets he was given early in the season and they had to move away from him uh, for other reasons. I mean... He- what yeah, are we talking I mean, about? They, like first uh, eight weeks, he had 56 targets, only 395 yards and one touchdown. Yeah, most of those came probably against the Eagles, didn't they? Yeah, probably. Yeah, like he was really a weak loser. I mean, I mean, like, so, <laughs> yeah, so <right>. like, <laughs> so like you, against the Dolphins, you had Mariota getting hurt. I think against the Texans, the team went run heavy. And they had Blaine Gabbard under center, so like not a real quarterback. And then they played the Jaguars, they beat nine six, and they had like they threw the ball eighteen times, and then mm-hmm. he exploded against the Eagles. Then they, you know, again, it's one of those like seasons where 
it's very hard to take away anything from without actually acknowledging how hurt Mariota played through. And I don't think either of you guys are doing enough of that, um, which is whatever. It, it's how it goes. And so it goes. But I also don't think he was good. And that's why I wasn't drafting him last year. And this year, now that the, 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 like I wasn't drafting him based on the hype last year. Last year, I was just like, this guy's not good. This is like way bizarre. And now I'm actually buying in. And the two of you guys are like <laughs> running away when you were buying in last year. So I, mean, like, I wasn't buying I in last year, running... but I mean, that's fair that we probably are not giving him enough credit for some forces outside his control. But I mean, it's still a sort of situation where, um, you know, he hasn't been good in the NFL. Uh, yeah. We have a little bit more information now about how we should be evaluating prospects and we're kind of revising our opinion of him as a prospect. And now he really looks overdrafted by the Titans. And there's just oh, a, yeah. a whole 100%. bunch of things that are making him still overvalued in Dynasty to but me What's anyway. different than him than, than Kenny Galladay, apart from that like 23-point finish where one has a two, like hit that 200-point threshold? Really, what's the difference? Well, they been good. Galladay's <laughs> been good, and they're increasing his usage. I don't understand they, how you can say it's like he's been good when, like, when like their situations are almost identical, except for the fact that one guy played with Stafford and one guy played with an injured Mariota. I don't understand where that d- difference lies. Like well, they're the same guy. I mean, it's in the production. Okay, so we're not gonna we're not gonna discount Corey Davis's inefficiency because he's playing with like an a QB who's dealing with an AC joint sprain. No, that's fair. He got thirty but for me, like I would agree with that argument more if they didn't drop his usage so yeah, because they decided to become a run-heavy offense. The only reason Derrick Henry did well was because they decided not to throw the ball because their quarterback couldn't throw the ball. But when they did throw the ball, they threw it 12% fewer times to, to Davis than they were yeah, in the first they're half of the, the year. Ball, like under 20 times a game. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it wouldn't change his share of the overall yeah. passing volume. I mean, Hassan does have a point, though, that when it's you're throwing the ball that few times, like... But at like, the same point, then it's like, okay, no, should sure. we throw out target market share? Like, I don't know. I, That's, no, I just think that the Galladay, Galladay's usage increased last year. They When his teammates got injured, boom, he launched into the 30% target market share. That's what you want to see. His usage ramped up. He produced well enough given his situation to have a – Breakout year, so that's definitely the differentiator. But that's for such me. a like that's such a like without any like additional analysis, like just like a reactionary position to take. <laughs> like, 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 like Corey Davis, his last good game came against the New England Patriots, where he had ten targets. He caught seven of them for 125 yards and a touchdown. Like, I don't, I'm not, like, I'm not understanding, like, what is the difference between. Uh, uh, playing on a team where there's almost no passing volume versus being the only guy in the offense. Like when you're going to throw the ball 18 times, you get the ball like four times or six times. Like it's not going to come out in the, in the final raw stats. And I'm explaining to you why it isn't. But like, yeah, we I, agree I with that. And actually, that comp is fair. I like that comp, Galladay and Davis, because you know now looking back, they look like similar prospects. Only Davis was drafted much higher, but. I mean, yeah. the difference for me is basically in, well, yeah, it's hard to know how much to discount Davis's production because of Mariota's injury. But, I mean, based on the numbers you're looking at, 
Davis was underperforming his opportunity. Galladay outperformed yeah. it. Um, so there's just, I mean, it's a, it's an easy distinction to make where you're looking at two guys who are uh, pretty similar in a lot of ways, and one was better than the other. <laughs> Without know? a doubt, yeah. But I, I don't know if you were to put if you were to put Corey Davis on Detroit and Gall- Kenny Galladay on Tennessee. I don't know how those numbers were to really change. Yeah, they but Kenny, Ga- be- Kenny Galladay is on Detroit, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, no. I mean, it's fun to think about these hypotheticals, but uh, yeah, we're but, we're ranking yeah. the Kenny Galladay who's on Detroit, not the one who's on Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think just from this discussion, I think I am genuinely a little bit higher on Galladay than I should be, uh, and maybe I'm higher on Corey Davis than I should be. So I should probably lower them both. And there's probably like other guys that should be moving up. Yeah. So that's sort of probably the where where the where the middle is because if I'm seeing these guys as ostensibly the same player, and you guys aren't, then I'd rather you make the mistake <laughs> in, in <laughs> during the draft, right? Sure. Like I just I just fair enough. Well, let's talk about one of the guys that you should definitely move up. Yeah. Um, skipping over one name here, but you have Christian Kirk ranked 27th, and uh, uh, me and well, Ben and I both have him at well, twenty-one for me, twenty-two for Ben. So why are you so low on Christian Kirk? Yeah, that's because I was too high on the other ones. Explains. <laughs> I mean, I mean, realistically, I just didn't know who to put him ahead of. But it's it's yeah. probably a little bit easier if I start swapping this around a little bit, right? So then when so then there's a there's a pretty easy clear path for like Kirk to start jumping these guys because you know I mean part of the reason you guys gave for Kenny Galladay was like alpha in the offense that's Corey Davis but that's also Christian Kirk and um I'm of the belief that like he really is well worth where he is going right now in redraft and that's probably like poised to climb um going forward once the hype train actually starts building uh the second part is. I just think uh, we've pretty much seen uh, the end of life as Gerald for as much as he was playing through injuries. He's an older wide receiver. Injuries happen. And uh, Blair, you mentioned this before. Older guys don't just gradually. It's not like an it's not it's not like a linear drop off. It's pretty exponential. And all of a sudden you're pretty useless. And um, I think Kirk is ready to ascend. People have wrongly uh, insinuated that he is a. Um, a slot only wide receiver. Most of the production came from the slot, but he's shown the ability to play uh, all across the formation, which puts him uh, more so as a Z receiver. It'll be interesting really to see what or who um, Arizona decides to bring in because there's really no competition outside of Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, maybe Ricky Seals Jones would be interesting, but that's pretty much it. And he's a guy that I'm definitely too low on that I should be much higher on than I currently am. Yeah, yeah. I think we all like, like Kirk. Go ahead, Blair. No, I was just going to say, Kirk is a really interesting guy to try to rank. Not <clears throat> not only because, I mean, we have kind of just a limited sample on him. Last year, there's also kind of questions about how effective Fitzgerald's going to be. And the other thing is, we really don't know what this offense is going to look like. I mean, um, you know, I have a lot of hope with Cliff Kingsbury coming in that he's going to just install a air raid thing and get Kyler Murray and throw the ball 50 times or something. But I mean, get David Johnson in space finally. And, uh, they'll be, you know, back to being a top offense, but of course I'm way too optimistic on that probably. So it's kind of trying to temper those expectations and the enthusiasm I had for Kirk, uh, 
as a prospect with kind of the the realization that in terms of personnel, this team might not actually have that much and they might still be pretty bad even even with a new coach and a new scheme. So, yeah, I don't know. How do you weigh those things, Ben? Yeah, for sure. I think that's why he's kind of on the lower end of the rookies. That's why we have him behind Ridley, obviously behind DJ Moore. Um, but, yes, yeah, so, so, I mean, looking at the rankings, he's kind of the lowest legit breakout candidate that I think we we have in our, our rankings. I mean, one thing to look at is that he did produce over expectation in his rookie year, which is definitely a positive sign. As you mentioned, team wasn't great, and that's an even better sign that he was able to produce over expectation despite the team not being great. A decent production profile in college doesn't really pop in any way, and some of his comps aren't too fantastic but he does check enough boxes that he has a reasonable probability to be the number one in this Arizona offense and uh, definitely will be influenced by how strong the offense is as a whole in my opinion and I think that's why he has the rank he does because he's the Larry Fitzgerald's likely his last year very likely his last year and we have Kirk as the Number one in an offense, going into his second year after producing over expectation, ready to break out. And that's why he's only ranked 22nd and 21st for us, because who knows what Arizona will look like from an overall offensive perspective. So I think that's how you kind of weigh those factors and what goes into the ranking. All right. The one guy I skipped over uh, is probably even harder to rank, I think, than... Kirk, and that's Jarvis Landry. He was getting a lot of targets early in the season last year, and then when Mayfield really kind of exploded, he started spreading the ball around. Landry got a lot less, and then they brought in Odell Beckham, of course. So um, there are obvious concerns about his volume. Um, Hassan, you're the highest on Landry. You have him ahead of Godwin. Uh <laughs> but not ahead of Davis. Okay. Well, anyway, why do you like Landry so much? Well, Davis's rank is contingent upon him seeing about like 27% of the targets. Uh, Landry's is contingent upon him seeing about 22-ish maybe, which, uh, you know, again, if we're going to assume that Baker Mayfield is going to smash and Odell Beckham is going to smash, why not Jarvis Landry? In what world is Antonio Callaway or Richard Higgins or any of these other guys, even Duke Johnson, anything more than just like fantasy parasites? They're not. Like, I mean, like Jarvis Landry saw is one of the more extreme, if not the most extreme shift in ADOT from his role in Miami to when he came to um, Cleveland. They wanted to use him as a true alpha slash wide receiver one. Um, did it work out? No. Did they use him like it? Yes. Uh, they also got pretty uh, creative with him down the stretch when Kitchens took over. And that's something that I expect to continue. They were giving him, you know, using him on jet sweeps and so on and so forth. Now he gets to play alongside Odell. We know Odell Beckham is actually the true alpha in this offense. It really, he really is. At the same time, it's not like Jarvis Landry is a schlub. I mean, I know everyone thinks of him from Miami as just this dude who, like, catches, like, PPR points and, like, eats, like, this, like, PPR machine because he's a slot guy. But that's also a pretty uh, simplistic um, way to look at what this guy's game really is. And I don't think we've really seen that kind of, like, change in ADOT where he went from, like, what, five point something to, like, ten point something. 
um, uh, that drastic of a change uh, and change in scheme without there being some growing pains. And uh, if anything, I think uh, Landry is like, like if Mayfield, if like any offense is capable of supporting two wide receiver one-ish slash, you know, a wide receiver one and a wide receiver two is probably Cleveland. And in that regard, my Jarvis Landry rank might actually be slightly too conservative. Like if if uh, Thielen and Diggs can, co- can coexist, there's no reason why OBJ and Landry can't coexist. And I mean, realistically, I'm also a little bit lower on David Njoku. It doesn't mean that I hate David Njoku. I actually think David Njoku is a very solid hold. Uh, if you own him on any dynasty leagues, uh, he's honestly, in my personal opinion, he might be traded this time next year because it feels like Dorsey is doing just the thing where he's getting rid of all the slashy guys. And uh, don't be surprised if, uh, if you know, it's OBJ and Landry who are just hogging the target share. Um, you know, I, they don't throw to the running backs all that much, and there's no reason for them to do so, especially if they're willing to use Jarvis Landry more like how they did back in Miami. Uh, ben, your eyes kind of lit up when when uh, Hassan said he was maybe even too conservative on Landry. Why should we temper expectations for for him in this offense? I just don't think he has as much upside as guys ahead of him for sure. Like Odell's clearly going to out-target him. I think that the drop in Landry's targets once Baker came on is a very negative signal for Landry for sure. And we kind of talked about this with the my OBJ ranking in the prior episode where I'm not as sold on the Cleveland offense, just absolutely exploding as some people are. Uh, I think it definitely has that in the range of outcomes, but I think that some of the OBJ rankings and if you were to move Landry up in your rankings, that might be ranking at the Cleveland offense's upside as opposed to more of a median outcome. You know, if Baker's not actually the GOAT who's going to lead them to ultimate victory in the NFL. And yeah, so I mean, I'm just not sure that Landry can really improve on the prior production he's had throughout his career, given his current situation. I think he can definitely still be a solid contributor to a fantasy team, solid wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver three. So like he's definitely worth owning as a filler type asset that will uh, hold, hold value for a couple of years. In my opinion, Blair, what do you think? Well, full disclosure, I've actually bumped Landry up in my rankings that are up on the site a few spots uh, since we put these together. So I now have him actually ahead of, um, ahead of Godwin, ahead of Robert Woods. Um, and yeah, I should I should move Landry ahead of Woods as well. Yeah, I mean, the main reason I think for doing that, I think there are definitely concerns about the volume he's going to see you know on the other hand last year when we saw Mayfield spreading the ball around I mean you know he the alternatives basically outside of you know he could have thrown it to Landry but um it you know there were not many other targets for the defense really to focus on I mean you know Landry's on the field at the same time as Callaway who had like to start the season, one of the like historically worst rookie seasons 
from an efficiency standpoint. Um, Rashad Perryman was getting a lot of targets later in the season. I don't think anyone believes he is actually good. So uh, I think with Beckham now on the field and maybe with a a step forward from Callaway, Landry should, uh, you know, find a lot more open space on the field and we'll probably see his volume bump up a little bit and he should definitely see an increase in his uh, efficiency. That was another, another area where he really struggled last year. And, you know, it's possible that's because he was just the only real target that uh, the defense had to focus on. I mean, there's a lot of narratives to kind of explain away the bad season he had last year, but yeah, I'm hopeful for this offense going forward and um yeah hopeful for Landry to get more volume and more more efficiency I'm probably a little too optimistic moving him up that high but um uh yeah I really want uh, Cleveland to you're be also good. betting on uh you're also betting on a pseudo bounce back for this 27 year old wide receiver who just changed teams and had a down year so I'd I'd probably be betting on the fact that he saw like a change in how he was deployed versus um and the volume point. stuff. That's like like if you're gonna go from suddenly being you know deployed like five yards downfield to being deployed actually as like a down the th- like as a downfield threat slash asking to run a more full route tree, I think you're more likely to produce points. I guess why I just don't like rostering quote unquote slot guys like Jamison Crowder because what's their upside? Like fucking waste of space. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, in terms of like comparing Landry's 2018 to his 2017, he did see fewer targets, but he had almost the same amount of yards. Um, The biggest difference was in his touchdowns. He had nine touchdowns in 2017 and only four in 2018. So, uh, I mean, you know, that's definitely something to pay attention to, but it's also the sort of thing you expect to be more subject to variance. So I think there's some reason to think that he could have a bounce back in terms of efficiency. Um, you know, yeah, I am maybe betting on something that is sort of a lower probability outcome, but um, I'm making a lot of stupid bets on the Cleveland offense. So there you go. All right. How about Allen Robinson? I'm not a big A-Rob fan overall. We have him. Ranked approximately 25th, very similarly in all our rankings. Hassan, tell me about A-Rob. Got to rank him somewhere. I mean... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, like that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, it's just like A-Rob is like probably the riskiest rank, even though we've got him pretty much as fringe wide receiver too. He really only had the one the one game with like Trubisky like, towards the end of the season in the playoffs. Uh, you're kind of hoping that, you know, Anthony Miller really doesn't step up. This entire, like, rank dies if Anthony Miller turns into, like, something more than he actually is, um, which I can't really see happening because I, I don't really see him as more than a slot-only guy, which means Robinson's the only guy they're going to be throwing to. So, like, from a raw volume perspective, Robinson's probably going to do well. Um, he's probably fairly slash fully valued in Dynasty, and he's probably just a hold. I mean, you just got to rank him somewhere just on the yeah. basis of raw volume alone. I just don't know. I like it's it's weird to say that, but like but like you know, uh 
it's weird that a guy who was so we were so optimistic about is kind of depressed. I can't see how you would buy Allison Allen Robinson off of like a guy who really likes him. So probably the cheapest way to get him is via a startup. Um, but I think wide receiver two feels fairly valued slash fully valued. And um, he's not a trendier name, uh, you know, right now that would sort of catch fire. Uh, the one that I'm kind of interested in really in your ranks is um, where we have a pretty sizable discrepancy would probably be Robbie Anderson. Uh, I wonder why both of you guys are significantly lower, but well, not significantly, but just lower on him than I am. Well, I like Robbie Anderson. I think he's really good. I am concerned about the contract situation then bring with uh, Anunwa. I know you you were kind of talking me into not considering that as much Hassan. I think we talked about this a week ago or so and yeah. also then bringing in Crowder. So I do like Robbie Anderson a lot. I was very high on him during the year last year and I was very disappointed in where I ended up ranking him. So I'm definitely open to moving him up if you guys can talk me into it. Where is Robbie Anderson's volume going to come from? Can he be somebody who, I mean, given his style of play, he would never really be an elite target share guy, I think. But is there a world where he can get a 23 to 26% target market share and pop into like the top 18, top 16? What do you guys think? Yeah, and that's this year. I mean, he had 23% in 2017, which, you know, was only 114 targets, but um, that was, you know, kind of his breakout year. So we've seen him do that before, basically. Um, With Josh McCown. Yeah, right. And, I mean, the Jets are another offense that I think is on the rise and I think should be a lot better in – Darnold's second year. I mean, I say that knowing that they now have Adam Gase as their head coach, so kind of all bets are off. But uh, I am optimistic for this offense to be a little bit better and for Robbie to be a beneficiary of that. So I actually am, you know, I probably want to move him up uh, maybe ahead of Allen Robinson. Yeah, Sam. Maybe um, ahead of Corey Davis. Yeah, I would probably be with you on that one. Um, yeah, I got I got to drop Davis uh, a bit, and I think like it just I I just don't know if I'd be too optimistic if I were to swap Robbie and Corey. Um, I mean, part of the reason why Robbie had a perceived down season last year was again because he was drafted fairly highly, and he came into camp with like ankle issues, and he never let that thing heal. Then he had to play alongside Darnold with ankle issues as Darnold learned his way around the NFL. So you got a Darnold in his true rookie year and a, and a hobbled Robbie Anderson who just couldn't put anything together until after the bye. Then after the bye, he sort of came out. He came on really strong uh, in the last month, weeks 14 through 17. And and quite frankly, if you played DFS and you weren't playing him and Sam Darnold in weeks 14 through 16, uh, I don't know how you made any money that week. Uh, hit me up. That tell me exactly what you did because uh, that's how I uh, lost uh, a lot of money that week. Those weeks. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, like when you like, like he went. Uh, you know, 
four catches on seven targets, 76 yards and touchdown against Buffalo. Absolutely annihilated Houston. You know, he, he caught like seven of his 11 targets for 96 yards in the score. And against Green Bay, he shredded them. He had like nine, you know, nine catches for 140 yards and a touchdown. Like he, him and Darnold showed like when they were both fully healthy and on the field, they beat, you know, I mean, like they didn't beat them, but like, like they shredded uh, a team that was pretty much in playoff contention in week 15. And, like he's a very very good wide receiver. I think twenty three might actually be a little bit too low on Robbie for me. For the from the contract situation, uh, given how like the Jets are, you know, he's a restricted free agent. So uh, the Jets were pretty much going to sign him to whatever it is. It's very difficult to poison build them. They slap a second round tender on him, which is the highest they can give, I believe, to a UDFA. And um, they're going to dare someone else to try and take him. And I think that they're going to work out an extension because they are a wash in gap space. I think the guy who's overvalued relative to where people think he's actually good is Quincy Anunwa. And that sort of explains where they got <laughs> Jamison Crowder. Uh, we don't know what Quincy Anunwa is um, uh, at the NFL level. And if we're going off his 2016 season where he was also, once again, the only guy in this offense to be healthy, I don't know where he will be. Like, I can tell you, I think they did regret giving him that contract. Part of the reason they gave him that contract was because they had so much cap space that it didn't matter because they were they needed to spend it to hit like a minimum spend or not lose it, have it get burned up and like uh, by not hitting the floor. So I think Anderson's probably the future. Will they draft a wide receiver this class? That's to be seen. But it's exciting to have uh, uh, Robbie Anderson um, going forward. And I think that he probably, I'm a little bit too conservative on him over here. That's fair. Yeah, like I said, I'm totally open to moving Robbie up. And I likely could be aggressive in trying to acquire him if the price is right. So, All right. One guy down here that we're all kind of, um, I guess, a little lukewarm on who actually had like a really good season is uh, Tyler Lockett. And I know Hassan, you're our resident Doug Baldwin truther. So is uh, he what's keeping you from ranking Lockett any higher? Yeah, he kind of is. And also the fact that this is an offense, it just runs the football. Like, I mean, like, did they probably see Russell Wilson as a running back who unfortunately has to throw from time to time? <laughs> like, there's absolutely no way, right? Like, like this is a team that would wish they could run the triple option. I mean, we like we watched them lose winnable games because they just couldn't stop running that football. And that's, uh, you know, just that's just what they do. Uh, the interesting thing is, like, Lockett's efficiency is absolutely nuts. There's no way he repeats that. But, you know. Curtis Patrick wrote a really good piece on Rotoviz uh, about Tyler Lockett being like the wide receiver one where he actually makes strong, uh, like a pretty strong case. And then, you know, you're hearing all these things about like Doug Baldwin getting surgery and multiple surgeries. And then, and you don't know how long Doug Baldwin has left uh, as far as NFL career goes, which is a shame because the guy's an absolute mensch. I don't know if he fits the profile of like a, of like a bounce back candidate at 32 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, we're hearing that he's going under the knife a couple more times, which should be worrying. It sucks because Baldwin's such a good player. But, uh, you know, Blair, you've mentioned this a bunch of times. Old guys don't just decline in a, in a linear fashion. They just stop being good and then that's it. Yeah, it's like the think, light is turned off. I think that's more or less kind of what we saw with Baldwin last year. Um, and, I mean, if you he want to know if he's a likely... 
Yeah, if you he want had to... some games at the end that were like oh. like hope giving, but like how how likely is he to like play the garbage San Francisco defense and the garbage <laughs> Kansas City defense all the time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is if you want to know how likely a guy is to to bounce back and you know you ask his age at thirty two, that's like no way. Um, people just don't bounce back that often at any age like that. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, should have been off Baldwin last year. And if you're still on him, then, um, I don't know, you can maybe form a support group with Hassan. Uh, I, I've actually tried sending out like trade, like trades that included Baldwin and, uh, been pretty much, and they weren't even like aggressive trades and no one's biting. It's yeah. like give me a late second, I'll give you Doug Baldwin, and it's like no. Yeah. It's like you, all right, well, at, at, you at this give point, me a late second, him. and I'll take Baldwin. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, like, so like, so like Baldwin's value in Dynasty at this point is pretty much uh, you're hoping he like, there's some he's pretty much on your roster until the season starts. That's pretty much it. Like you're gonna know very very soon whether his value is nil. Or he's like gonna be good because like the the risk reward trade off right now no, like no sharp player is ever gonna make that um, you know and I know like the, the the value of like a rookie hit is like pretty low but if you play in like dynasty leagues that are very very deep you're not gonna make that trade off dude um, I'd go for the third man maybe even an early fourth depending on how deep your league is <laughs> yeah sur- the surgery news is just so bad that's yeah man, that's like the, the thing right. Having those surgeries, like I think he's just totally toast, in my opinion. Uh, with yeah, the surgery news, which is really unfortunate. And yeah, so like, ter- good. No, no, you were saying. I was just gonna say that as it relates to Lockett. Yeah, he had 220 PPR points last year, but and of course Baldwin exiting is good for him. But I just don't really see the upside in this offense and given the way he's been used I feel like if they're going to throw the ball more even if they're not going to throw the ball more they could bring in other wide receiver help via the draft potentially and like we said if you know if Lockett's target share is going to increase a little bit I'm nowhere near sold that his efficiency is going to remain at that level like you could argue that his Efficiency is a product of opportune passing by the Seahawks and that as the uh, if the volume does increase, then it'll regress back. So Lock is ranked that low because I think he's a startable asset for the time time being, a couple of years maybe, but I don't really see any route to potential wide receiver, consistent wide receiver to upside that some other players we have ranked similarly do have in their range of outcomes so what's interesting to me is if like those the seahawks actually will draft a wide receiver one but again i don't see why they do that when they really should be trying to get more running backs exactly yeah i mean if we really think that baldwin is done and is not going to be a factor in this offense then it would make sense to project a little more volume going Lockett's way. He's never had more than 71 targets in a season and, I mean, still <clears throat> able to put up 220 points. So even if his efficiency does go down, 
quite a bit, which, I mean, it should, because, I mean, what he did last year was just kind of unreal. But even if it does go down, um, he could make up for it in volume. And, like, obviously there's not a lot of passing volume to go around in this offense, but there are so also aren't, as of yet, a lot of pass catchers. So there are, I think, good reasons maybe to even bump Lockett up a little bit from where we have him. I'm actually the lowest on him, and I'm thinking I probably will bump him up a little bit. Um, but, you know, as with all these guys down here, it's hard to really figure out who you want to bump down uh, in favor of, you know, who you yeah, want to... Yeah, it's just like he's he's had 70 targets all four years, basically. And like I just don't know how he'd react to having an increase on that. Of course, Baldwin leaving means there is that opportunity, but I, I don't know. I just feel like it's low probability that that actually comes to fruition any interest what? in uh david moore or jerron brown from either of you not yeah, david 30. moore at the right price for sure agree not in the top 30 though yeah no i'm just i'm just like, curious from like uh from like way later down in the ranks right uh, david moore is i think he's pretty undervalued this year and i have been trying to get him on a lot of redraft and dynasty teams lately but uh yeah he's someone i you know for, for his cost he's a uh makes a lot of sense as kind of a dart throw all right any else down here we want to talk about i mean we've got some kind of second year guys who are a little bit interesting mike williams Cortland sutton they both uh, i'd like to hear your Cortland sutton third. reasoning my Cortland Sutton reasoning, yeah. Yeah, I think Ben and I kind of in lockstep with William Sutton and Hilton. I mean, we're all in, in lockstep with Hilton, but like Williams and Sutton would be the like uh, right. Williams is a bit of a wash, but Sutton's the interesting one. Right. Yeah, I'm a little higher. Yeah, you're on having a couple higher. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, he obviously did not have the sort of rookie season that we would kind of hope for him. Um. You know, the Denver offense had a lot of problems. Uh, for most of the season, he was actually pretty inefficient with his opportunity. He actually ended basically uh, as a neutral. So um, he ended up being just kind of, you know, doing exactly what you would expect, expect with his opportunity. So I don't know. The reason I have him this high is because I liked him as a prospect and I'm kind of hoping that what he did in his rookie season is an aberration and he'll... Um, have a second year breakout. Uh, it's probably not founded on a lot more than hope other than, um, yeah, my, my, uh, view of him as a prospect and just kind of the, uh, the thought that the Denver offense can't really be a lot worse than it was last year. What do you like so much, like about him so much as a prospect? Uh, well, he declared early. He had early career production. Um, obviously, his final season in college kind of took a step back, but he still has that really uh, excellent uh, redshirt sophomore season, kind of, um, you know, almost paralleling Juju's college career. Obviously, Juju didn't redshirt, so there is a, a big difference there. But, um, yeah, he's someone who showed pretty massive upside in college and uh i think 
probably should be able to show more than what we've seen in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I'm hopeful that he can really take a step forward in year two. Um, yeah, I don't know if, <laughs> you know, the Broncos, Brian and Joe Flacco, maybe they draft a quarterback. I don't know if their QB situation is going to improve at all. Um, I doubt that Emmanuel Sanders is going to be a no chance factor at all this season. Yeah, right. Coming off the Achilles tear. So he's going to probably start the season on pop. Right. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play at all uh, in 2019. So there's, you know, Sutton at this moment is the the wide receiver one in Denver. I mean, he should have the opportunity, even if it's not very good opportunity. He might be able to improve on the sort of lack of efficiency he had last year. Um, I mean, I don't think you should bet on that, but definitely he should see a bump in opportunity. And he has the sort of prospect profile that you like with a productive early career and an early breakout. That's fair. Yeah, I don't feel... I just don't feel too strongly about him. He definitely has that opportunity since he is theoretically the number one option in that offense. But the way he performed this past year is just a huge red flag for me because he pretty much had the same opportunity this last year and it didn't work out. So, you know, maybe in the second season, but yeah, I'm I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure where this rank compares to uh, ADP. But my guess is it's a little lower on him. Yeah, actually, 30. yeah, it could yeah. be. I mean, I still have him below. Well, actually, I should. I'll maybe move Robbie up ahead of Sutton, and maybe I'll even move Lockett ahead of Sutton. But I mean, you know, he only had 84 targets last year, so I think there's room for his opportunity to grow quite a bit. I mean, if he's the number one wide receiver, you could see that go up to like I don't know, 110, 120 or something. So. Um, there should be more, more opportunity for him to produce. Yeah, I kind of hope you're right because I'm optimistic on like Sutton. I, I want him to be good. I haven't actually um, uh, <laughs> given it much thought uh, just by virtue of um, I was joking around with you for the most of the latter half part of the latter half of last season, how he looked like later career Demarius Thomas. Um, <laughs> and, and I just don't like, uh, um, buying the raw volume argument, but like, I'm really hoping the kid smashes if only because he was pretty, like you said, that he had like all those like good things going from him on the prospect side, you know, and like he was kind of blocked by Sanders and DT. And by always ineptitude. So, like, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, you, when you get Case Keenum and then you go to Joe Flacco. So, I mean, here's hoping to, like, the kid smashes because there's some pretty, I mean, his prospect profile is still pretty interesting. And our recently revamped uh, box score scout gives him some pretty cool comps. I'm just playing around with it. So, since, since week 12 last year... Cortland Sutton had a 16% target market share. That was surpassed by Tim Patrick in his four games at a 17% target market share and Deshaun Hamilton in five games with his 20% target market share. I'm not a fan of that in terms of Sutton. <laughs> yeah, but that's because like like um that's because Case Keenum's a coward and really doesn't throw the football very very much into traffic. Well, he chose to 
throw it fewer times to Sutton than the other guys. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, those, yeah, that competition was worrisome at the end of the season and really <laughs> yeah. kind of disappointing. You know, Patrick is actually someone who I really like at the, like the end of drafts, and uh, he you can get him right now basically for free. Hamilton, Hamilton has a little more buzz and might be a little bit overvalued, but. I think he's overvalued. Yeah, but Patrick is someone you can get basically for free and considering what he did at the end of last season, it's worth taking a shot on, I think. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is... Who doesn't want, like, five catches for 65 yards and no (laughs) touchdowns on their roster? (laughs) That's just just what I'm looking for. The guy who's... I'm looking at, like, Tim Patrick's box score, and it's just... Yeah, man. I I really want, like, three catches, 44 yards, and no touchdowns on my roster. That's that's really what I want. Seven points a week, baby. Yeah, that's right. Um, All right, fine. Leave them for me. (laughs) I can take those uh, seven points. Yeah, but, I mean, like, uh, as I said, I was playing around with the box score scout. When you're looking over some of his, like, there's some interesting comps. Like, it spits out, namely, um, I mean, James Washington is one but juju comes in there and alshon's in there so there's and robert woods is in there so there's like some hope yeah yeah he does have some interesting comps it's probably i mean he has a good career market share um and obviously the box score scout i think has him only playing three seasons because it doesn't really oh no it actually has four because it does Four. give him it does give him one one game in his uh freshman redshirt freshman season. But in any case, yeah. Um yeah, there's some interesting comps and a lot of reason I think to be optimistic for him. You know, on the other hand, Daniel Jones is exactly the sort of quarterback that I think Elway might be drafting. He at least has the height, so Hey, Haskins was visiting today, so let's uh, let's keep hope alive here, huh? All right. I'd be okay with that, I guess. I think he might. He's probably an upgrade over Flacco. All right. Anyone else we need to talk about at the bottom of this list here? We pretty much covered everyone. I mean, T.Y. Hilton is at the bottom here, but I mean, I think we pretty much know what Hilton is. He puts up a lot of points, especially with Andrew Luck throwing in the ball, but he's uh, getting up there in age. So I think that's the reason most of us have him ranked this low considering the production he actually gives you anything else to say about him just him and aj green two guys right around this range who are obviously much much higher redraft value and obviously their value spikes a ton for you if you're a huge contender for the next year so but yeah like you said their age makes you know they've got they could be dead next year like (laughs) fantasy wise um aj green was dead last year for the record (laughs) it's true go read my article on tyler boyd is undervalued (laughs) definitely all right well that will do it for this special edition of the fantasy football report special thanks to ben battle follow him on twitter at ben underscore battle three did i get that right correct awesome yeah, uh, definitely check out his work. He does a lot of uh, football stuff, a lot of tennis content as well. So definitely be sure to check that out. Uh, make sure to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening.
Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Can we call back when you get a chance? The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.